welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. Uh, you're here with myself, Josh Hartley, uh, my co-host, Ben Porter. Hello. And this week, we are joined by our friend, uh, Tom Mannery. Who... Hello. How, how's it going, Tom? It's going good. It's going good. Glad Excellent. to be here. Excellent. Tom, Tom is uh, the GM for the Pathfinder game that I talk about quite frequently on the podcast, as well as uh, currently the head of the Scottish Pathfinder Society. So we're going to talk to him a little later on about uh, RPGs, GMing, maybe some tips on how to be a good GM, and maybe about the uh, society and running we'll, events. We'll also have a video demonstration of the Pathfinder handshake, so <laughs> if anyone wants to join. Actually, yeah, the Pathfinder Society is very secretive, uh, stepped in uh, ancient mythology. And we don't have many members. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's uh, well. To be fair, right. So the odd time that I've been, it's always had a good turnout. It has uh, the Glasgow because you you run events in Glasgow, and I know you do Hamilton as well. Hamilton, yeah, and we have odd appearances in Edinburgh, and uh, we got one in Perth next year as well. But we'll talk about that later. Yes, yep. excellent. More on that later. <laughs> so that's uh, that's what we'll talk about in the second part of the episode. But first, as usual, uh, guys, what have we been up to? Um, well, we, we started our Firestorm campaign in earnest. Yes. That's the new um, campaign supplement for Age of Sigmar, for anyone that doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we've we've all played two games now. Um, my last game was a catastrophe. <laughs> How bad? Um, <clears throat> I, I managed to last the six turns, mm-hmm. but everything died. Yeah, but, uh, but, but crying, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the taking part that counts. Yeah. I say through gritted teeth. Yeah. Um, Losers usually say that. Sorry, carry on. Get out of my house. <laughs> Are um, you playing Josh? Is this is this what happened? No, I was, no. I was, no, playing, I was I... playing against Callum's Iron Jaws, which are like what they're like the the roided out orc faction. Um, so they're they're quite they're quite an elite army. They've been going to the gym more yeah. than usual. They are swole. Maybe maybe neglecting their family a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> getting dark. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe prone to violent outbursts yeah. a bit more yeah. than orcs normally uh, yeah. are. Yeah. And that and that's quite frequent for orcs. Yeah, you know. So th- this is alarming stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, it makes them very handy in combat. So all yeah. of that. They're all, they're also surprisingly fast. They have a lot of little buffs and things that mm. really help them get across the field, which they need because they have zero shooting. That was always kind of the orc thing, wasn't it? Like the more they are, the faster and the harder they are. Yeah, well. is yeah, that still yeah. the, the case. Yeah, like the the wizard um, gets bonuses to casting the more units he has around him. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, I think the big difference now is where in eighth edition it was um, that greenskins uh, were definitely seen as a horde army. Mm. Even even if you were doing orcs, which were definitely the hardier and the more elite of the two halves of the greenskin. Um, whereas now they're definitely, I, I, you'd probably call them an elite army. In the the, the like Iron that. Jaws definitely, like because in terms of um, power level, a brute, which is the new. Um, on foot guy it's like the roided out orc in the plate armour pretty much on par with the stormcast paladins you know the guys with the, the golden hammers dudes. and things yeah, yeah yeah so they they are quite firmly in the elite category now mm-hmm. but basically what happened um, we, we decided to play 
uh, scenario that um, Callum deployed his whole army around this realm gate and I can come on from any board edge as long as I'm more than 12 inches away but I have a 9 inch semicircle to deploy in okay. so like really like 18 inches across sure. in a semicircle um, and then my anything I can't fit on there I roll a dice in my turns and then it appears but um, the, the comparison that I draw to to try and um, explain the way things were stacked against me was, do you remember the old uh, Lord of the Rings scenarios? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. mm-hmm. depending on whether you were good or evil, you had a completely different objective. Yep. And I think, because there's one that we've talked about before, and that's the weather top scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a nightmare yep. for the good guys. Because yeah. you're basically stalling until Aragorn turns up. Yeah. Well, this was a bit like that. <laughs> okay. Because it, with it being a narrative scenario, Callum gets to pull every likes through the realm gate, <laughs> and I have to try and do eight wounds to the realm gate, but can only do that in close combat. With all his stuff around it. So you've got to go yep. through the incredibly close combat centric yep. orcs. Yep. Nice. Love it. So any type, like, I, I actually managed to wipe out his brute unit was mm-hmm. like great and then they just came back out the gate and you're like oh uh, uh. so it was <laughs> a, it was an uphill struggle from the start and it was cold comfort but Callum did say that throughout the whole game he had to really focus on what he was doing to make sure that he didn't leave me any openings because mm-hmm. all it would have taken was for him to make one slip up and then I could have pushed a monster through and then shaved off a few wounds on the gate. Because that's the thing, is I didn't need to destroy the gate completely. At the end of the turn, sorry, at the end of the game, you could roll a dice, and if the result on the dice was less than the number of wounds that the gate suffered, I could still win. Right. So ah, I, still, right. I, still, I still had the, the Hail the, Mary yeah. option there, but... Yeah, that's horrible. your participation medal right there. That's yeah. like your little glimmer of hope for the next game. <laughs> well, well done, you. <laughs> you tried. Yeah. Um, my game went a little better. Yeah. Um, I was playing Colin. Uh, Colin was playing uh, Demons of Zinch, uh, and I was playing uh, the new a new death fa- sub faction Nighthorn. Yeah. So all ghosts, ghosts all the time. Uh, I took uh, advantage of that. I deployed. A black coach, a vampire, and a single cane wraith, and the rest of my army was off the table <laughs> at deployment. It was like uh, an episode of Britain's Most Haunted. There's just ghosts everywhere. <laughs> what's the, oh, what's and yet none on the table. <laughs> what's De- Derek Okora's eyes are spinning I'm, in no, the sockets. I was, ju- I was just going to say, I'm now picturing um, Colin's Herald having a Scouse accent. <laughs> just yeah, just like... in the middle of the battle. Go away, slut! <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, Colin got uh, Britain's Most Haunted. Yeah. Did. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I I managed to win that scenario. Uh, it was it was good fun though. I, I'm enjoying playing uh, the Night Haunter compared to the old uh, vampire counts. Really mobile. They can. Did they feel? Did they feel more fun to play though? I was really enjoying it. Yeah. Because the the thing that I found quite interesting is like tonight you were actually talking about buying more stuff. Yes. And just the other week, yeah, he was saying that. 
I'm not going to bother. You were, you were actually talking about rebasing it as well, so it's quite nice to see yeah. how just getting a few new toys to what you've already got can rekindle Aye. your interest. The thing is, it's not even... So, I, I, I tell a lie, there is one new toy that I've got, and yeah. uh, I've got the, the Mongol now, which is the amazing Forge World model. Uh, it, have you seen it? Is it's, it the, it's like a torso. Yeah, and it's like knuckles kind of thing. Yeah, it, it's got no legs. Yeah. huge, gaping mouth. Uh, in the middle of eating a poor horse. Is it resin? Yes. Yeah, cool. It's a great sculpt, uh, and it's horrible in the game. Just so nasty. Pretty much impossible to kill. It's been really cleverly thought out the way it's been structured, though, because mm. it's it looks as though it's floating. Yeah, but it's got one hand pinning down the horse and then it's got one hand sort of reaching over its head as though it's going to grab something else but because it's pinning down that like a, a full horse mm. a war horse the that chunk of resin that makes up the horse actually counterbalances against the That's weight of the the mongol That's it's cool. it's an incredible uh, demonstration actually on how far uh, miniatures have come, yeah. Uh, even in the short, relatively short you, space, you, you would never get that in white metal. It just exactly. It just wouldn't this work. was the point. That's, that's exactly the point I was going to make. Fine cast us. That's how you want it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> but I think I, I mean I think uh, Games Workshop are moving more towards just having everything in plastic. Yeah, which it is, that way. makes makes complete sense for them. Uh, just the mass manufacturing. Well, that's so all the cheaper. all the recent um, Middle Earth stuff they've done has been resin. Mm. So I think they've just handed Middle Earth over to Forge World. Yeah, they seem yeah. to have really just kind of yeah. taken the reins on that one now. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the Mongol, that's... It's Forge World. I take it they've released all the rules for all the, the monsters yes. then for yeah. Age of Sigmar? One of the nice things with mm-hmm. um, Age of Sigmar is that it's very much... Um, what's the best way of putting it? It's like, kind of like Bolton. Mm. Like you, 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 when you buy a box of a new unit, you get the rules inside the box. Yeah. Is that right? So yeah. you, you can basically make the game as simple or as complicated as you want it mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. Whereas with fantasy, you had to learn all of these rules. And for your first four games, I would say, you had no idea what was going on. Yeah. So I remember that was always a thing with the, the old editions of Fantasy and 40k. You, when a new edition came out, you'd be waiting months to get like the Forge World updates for stuff. Yeah. You know, their monsters, I mean, I, I don't even think some of them got rules like in the last edition. Or yeah. if they did, it was pretty late in the game. Yeah. yeah. So that's good that they're making them accessible. Yeah. And do you know what? Uh, unlike previous editions where you had to buy whatever book that thing was in as well, mm. the rules are available. I think all the units, uh, the rules are free off the app. Off the app, and I think if you actually go onto the website, you can download a PDF. Yeah. So yeah. if if you actually click on the respective model mm. as though you're going to buy it, you scroll down at the bottom, and there's a PDF there. You just trick them into thinking you're going to buy it. Yeah. Psych. And and if you're playing like a pointed game, uh, which we were. Uh, all of that resource is free to use on their website now as well. You can yeah. actually build your army using the website. That's cool. Which is, yeah, it's great. They're, they're, they seem to be more and more about being accessible, whereas during the Tom Kirby years, it was like, we make models. The best models. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've yeah, got that no, programmed I, into the back of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they still do make, for my money, the best models out there. They make some pretty good models. They, they do. They make yeah. They're, de- they're definitely. Oh, I like devils out. Yeah. <laughs> they're definitely up there. Oh yeah. 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 
Um, so, uh, so currently we, we've got four factions in our campaign. We're all the main factions in Age of Sigmar. Ben is representing Order. Firmly at the bottom of the pile now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got Callum on destruction uh, with his iron jaws. Uh, me and Scott are the Super Death Brothers, as previously discussed. And yep. <laughs> uh, we got Colin and Craig, who are uh, well, both Chaos, both Zinch as well. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. It, it, I think I think Colin's got more of a demon army, whereas Craig is like mortal. Yeah. Chaos followers. All right, okay. So, so he's like the cultists the and, and stuff that. like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's fun. It's going well. It's it's nice because it's re- kind of rekindling my interest in uh, Warhammer and Age of Sigmar. Yeah. So uh, I've been enjoying it and looking forward to cracking on. And we'll keep you guys updated on how we get on with that. And you can also check out the blog, which we'll have a link for at the end, because mm-hmm. a few of us are chronicling our adventures there. So. Are you doing that narratively, or are you doing it like doing doing a bit of both? So far, it's just been me and Craig contributing. So mm-hmm. it's been like. Me and Craig like to write narrative, so it's been narrative, cool. but mm. it's uh, it's open ended. So if people want to do battle reports, they can do battle reports. Yeah. If they've painted a shiny new thing and just want to show it off, they can do that as well. Okay. So it's just a, I hate using the word, but it's a hobby blog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but um, no, it's it it's been good fun and uh, looking forward to playing more of it. So so obviously that's been going on. Yeah. Um, now uh, and Ben, you were telling me earlier about. Your D&D session didn't play D&D this time, did it? No, they didn't. We So for anyone that doesn't know, there, there's, a, there's another system out there called Legend of the Five Rings, which is set in Rokugan, yep. I believe it's called, which which is, if, if the D&D universe is a fictitious medieval northern Europe, Rokugan mm-hmm. is a fictitious feudal Japan cool. with monsters and demons and all yeah. that sort of thing. Um, so we've not really got into the, the meat of the game yet um, we, we've really just more or less gotten beyond the character creation but I have to say that a lot of character creation is quite boring it's you know the paperwork bit mm-hmm. whereas this one um, the first thing you do when you create a character is you are handed a worksheet and you play the game of 20 questions. So it's 20 questions that you answer um, that relate to essentially to what abilities and items and culture your character belongs to. So because it, you, you more or less end up approaching it as like a, a Facebook quiz, mm-hmm. You end up answering it as yourself. Which Disney character would you be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, it is like that. So it, it it does mean like I've essentially created myself in the Legend of the Five Rings. I am a Hida defender mm-hmm. with a massive two-handed hammer, and um, one of my drawbacks is that when my strife level peaks, I become enraged. It's just it's not like me. No, no I've, I've never witnessed that. <laughs> Throw it down in anger. I do not accept this. But that that brings me on to another thing. Is um, I think we spoke about before. Like, you know, you've got Game of Thrones, the role playing game. Mm-hmm. Where you actually have the the intrigue, mm-hmm. and there's actually a combat system for. There is yeah, social combat. Yeah, which is really cool and very yeah. 
uh, in keeping with all the themes Definitely. of the of the fiction. You, you've ran a game. Of I, I ran game, a, a mini campaign of Game of Thrones yeah. a couple of years ago, and it was it's a fantastic system. You you've got to get a buy into it. Uh-huh. Um, the players have got to be willing to get on board with that social combat. Yeah. But it, it adds a different dimension to to D and D or or Rockigan or you know any of the yeah the different so, ones. But that things like that, I I feel, um, you're probably going to get more out of it if. Your group is invested in the fiction, whereas oh, yeah. you, you do get D and D gamers that just want to punch things. Yep, definitely. Which is fine, but um, certain systems, I think it's. It... Yeah, I think any any system that's especially tailored towards something. So, uh, Legend of the Five Rings is tailored towards its setting. Game of yeah. Thrones is definitely for it. It it leans better into that because the, the system will support Lord of the support Rings. As well with Lord the of Rings. Yeah, it, it it leans into that kind of style of game. So. Yeah. That's great. If you've got a party that want to do social intrigue, Game of Thrones is fantastic. Yeah. And if you love the show and you love that aspect of it, mm-hmm. you're going to get that from the game. And Legend of the Five Rings, I've not seen it, but I imagine it's... Well, what what it does is it actually borrows aspects of Eastern religion. Okay. And they are implemented as game mechanics. Okay, so so like there's some something, a mechanic in the game that represents what Buddhism... And... Well, it's, it's called strife. Uh-huh. So whenever you carry out an action... Because it uses unique dice, and they all have symbols. I think that are Buddhist uh, symbols. Yeah. And um, so, if you imagine you've got your larger symbol, which is the one that when you look at the dice, that's the symbol you immediately are drawn to. Mm-hmm. But down in the corner, you have a smaller symbol next to it, and the the one that that uh, more often than not appears is the strife symbol, which looks like a little cherry blossom. Oh, right. So, if you try to do a persuasion attempt you can mm-hmm. roll a dice and it can you can you you roll your dice and you can be successful but you still have the the strife points there all right so whenever they appear you have to mark them in the same way you would mark uh, wounds that okay. you'd taken now the the michael who was gming because it's um Ch- charles is actually a player mm-hmm. uh, at the moment and michael stepped into to gm sure yeah and uh, he explained it as because because when we think of strife, we think of stress. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the case. the The strife represents inner conflict. Okay. So if you're a strong adherent to Buddhism, uh, not Buddhism, Bushido, sorry, that strife could be you getting excited, right. which is in violation of your Bushido because you're supposed to be stoic and composed. Okay. So it's not necessarily you. You're becoming stressed. It's you. There's some yeah. It, there's an inner turmoil there. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's, it's something that um, to like off the top of my head, it's not some a, a sort of mechanic that I've come across in a game. I yeah. suppose the closest thing I can come to is a lot of like the uh, Cthulhu set games have some sort of men, mental sanity. stability. Yeah, sanity yeah. check yeah. as well. well but it's, it's not a, really the same thing. It's kind of similar, but I mean, my, my character's quite straightforward in that um, when his strife reaches its maximum, he becomes enraged. Yeah. Because the thing he's always fighting against is his anger. Mm-hmm. But some other characters, they might just become ecstatic, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they enter the state of euphoria, things like Mid that. Mid combat. So it, <laughs> what? Why, so, why is Yoshida like chewing his teeth? <laughs> <laughs> But it's so strife can actually in the right situation be useful. Mm-hmm. So like my character's a heater defender. If he becomes enraged, he he enters like a sort of berserker state. 
which if you can direct that at the enemy yeah, yeah. amazing but if the opposite's true and it could be directed at your allies is it that kind of situation yeah. so it's if it happened in a situation where say for instance that it, it's a diplomatic situation social faux pas to flip the table yeah. and he he loses the rag and, <laughs> and then like you say just start smashing stuff yeah it's that's, that's really so cool yeah I've, I've noticed you mentioned that you get sort of points for certain roles on the dice even if you still succeed that's yeah. becoming a really popular mechanic in different games oh, really? if you succeed in checks there might still be a, a negative a drawback, yeah. or if you fail in a check you could still get an element yeah. of positivity because um the one ring system I mentioned to you earlier uh-huh. for Lord of the Rings that has a, a similar mm-hmm. sort of mechanic where um, if you get an ISR on uh, that could lead to a complication um, oh, and if okay. you get a little Gandalf hat yeah. Um, I don't think it is a Gandalf hat, but the GM told me it was that Gandalf hat, so I'm buying into it. Yeah. Um, that's like, you know, oh, it might go badly, but the Gandalf hat means good things. So. Yeah, is there a wee bit of help there? Yeah. It's a little known fact that Gandalf actually trademarked that hat in Middle Earth. I heard most of his power comes from the hat. It's like he takes a hat <laughs> off and he's powerless. So what that's not true. How does Gandalf the White work then? <laughs> he has an invisible hat. The hat's hidden. Yeah. <laughs> It's, he's turned it into a sock. <laughs> <laughs> All this power comes from a sock. They're never, never going to take my sock off, are they? Yeah. Just ruined that trilogy. So I'm just going to say, like, I never, oh, said, I never said, proved it. Yeah, I never said where the sock. <laughs> Why well, he's red hot chili pepper style? <laughs> <laughs> it is a big hat, to be fair. It is. <laughs> Gandalf would need a big hat. <laughs> Anyway, I I, I, I was going to say, I I wouldn't know. (laughs) Uh, Moving along. Well, we had our regular Pathfinder session as well. That was uh, last week? Uh, Yes, a week ago last Tuesday, uh, as of the date of this recording. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was very much one of sort of uh, plot development and intrigue. It was, yeah. It was like the GM didn't have a map and, and models ready. Uh, but no, it was, that, it was that's not that's not how I read that session at all. But now that you mention it, <laughs> no, it was it was very um, social uh, and plot development yeah. centric. Good news, my character didn't die from his venomous bite. Yay! I tried. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we tried tried really hard. Yeah. No, I mean yeah. that was never that was never meant to be a killer encounter, and it's it's quite fun to see an encounter that you put in as a challenge rapidly escalate to to that that extent. Uh, right. of you being almost we dragged are into the... so so lucky that uh, Scott's character is a cleric, so he was able to patch me up just at the brink where I was going to die. He lo- loves cool. a cleric, that boy, doesn't he? <laughs> Dwarf cleric as well. He's, yeah, he's yeah. really playing, you know, somewhat, yeah. somewhat out of his comfort <laughs> <Yeah>. zone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so uh, what's happened in the campaign is we've looted the Mites uh, Kingdom. Yes. Uh, and we've uh, we're heading back to where the rest of the survivors from our villages, only to find that this marauding band of orcs have created more refugees that have all uh, come to this one point. Uh, King's own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, with that is bringing its own unique set of problems. For whatever reason, there appears to be a drought. There's not much water, fresh water mm-hmm. to hand. Uh, there's a small group of clerics that are just repeatedly casting create water, create water, create water, just to keep people going. But that's obviously not a long-term pro- uh, solution. Also, people have been disappearing in near a graveyard. 
as they are prone to do. Mm. Which I'm sure I'm, I'm sure that is nothing ominous or worth investigating at all. I couldn't I couldn't say. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but then, <laughs> as you say as well, in like a fantastical setting, that would be like, oh yeah, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I lost four dads that way. Yeah, how just how used are people to like weird stuff going on? I don't know. It's it's always a weird one when you you think about a fantastical setting when you've got like high magic and it's mm. it is you know how used are you to seeing someone you know, whiz across the sky and someone shooting fireballs you know with a flick I, of the, I, the wrist. I kind of think of it and bear with me here. It's like water and electricity in our homes. Okay. Everyone knows that they're there. Most people have no clue how they get there. Yeah. So in mm. a sense, we do have magic in our world because there are these things that, that are alongside these people every day and we get no idea how they get there the, inter- the internet's a good good example yeah. of that as yeah, well. yeah, yeah. actually yeah. that's it you, you, these you, invisible forces yeah. that like, oh, if yeah, you were to take someone happen. from the medieval period and drop them in the modern world like yeah well it's well, yeah, even, we're, even, we're making light out of nothing. We 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 have access to all of human knowledge. I think uh, it, 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 on a device that's the, you know the size of like a chocolate bar. Even in they the, wouldn't even know what a chocolate bar. And we was, use so. it to look at kittens. The modern yes. age, though. I mean, if you took someone from sort of the you know the the undeveloped countries that, um, out there where people don't have access yeah. to the same stuff within, you brought them here and just dropped them in the middle of that and said, you know, there you go. That's going to look fantastical and magical. And mm. I always kind of think of it. If you've got in the setting that you're playing in, you're you're in fairly sort of um, small, isolated frontier towns. Yeah. As you move up to to bigger cities or other continents that make more use of magic, it's going to be more fantastical. I mean, a cleric mm-hmm. creating water is miraculous in of itself, but you've got people out in the world that you know can create oasises and can create mm-hmm. you know yeah. compartment seas. Um, not to get biblical, it, but yeah, no. But like even you think about um, most of these people in these places, like. We we as the the readers and participators in, in in these or participants in these games, we're used to seeing dwarfs, mm-hmm. but actually like like you're saying in a village in the middle of nowhere, they see a dwarf and they're like, it's one of the mountain folk. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know and to to them they think that he's some rich merchant lord. It's like, <laughs> no, he's actually a peasant by <laughs> yeah. dwarf standards. You know, yeah. so Probably a lot of dwarves emigrate. So yeah. <laughs> the dwarf currency is worth more in the, the undeveloped <laughs> world. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how, do, how does the foreign exchange market work in our Well, that's universe. something we're really going to explore in my campaign is the, the economy of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds great. <laughs> I'm really sold. Hey, I work in finance. That actually does sound great. I'm interested. Well, you do that on your time. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so we, we did that as mm-hmm. well. I think gaming news-wise... Obviously, the most uh, significant event to happen was Essen, the Essen's uh, the Essen Spiel or the, the their game show, uh, which which we will hopefully get to next year. I'd love to go. Maybe I'd love to go. Um, they uh, so this is this is basically the biggest. Uh, it's like to to draw a parallel with video games. It's the equivalent of E three. This is the big yeah. uh, press and trade show for the board gaming industry. So um, you have basically all the major players. Uh, notably, Games Workshop have started showing up for it now. They've started attending a lot of it. Yeah. Which yeah, is a massive about turn. It was really big because I, I was at UK Games Expo um, this this year oh, working, yeah? working okay. for Paizo, um, oh, of course, promoting yeah. Starfinder. Um, and Games Workshop had this massive stall. Mm. And I went over to them and I was like, are you, are you lost? 
You know, you know you're a, this isn't Warhammer World, you know, yeah. you know you Do you need an adult? <laughs> Tap your foot six times if you're not supposed to be here. And but they were massive, you know, they were really popular and they had it was the uh, the new edition of Forty K that they were showcasing yeah. at that and it was it was really cool to see them there, but so I think what they've been showing off um, at uh, this uh, at Essen, uh, a lot of Necromunda, uh, I think Shadespire as well. Shadespire, they've been demonstrating a lot of as well. And there's been a few other uh, bits of news come out. They've got the uh, they showed off the Elven team that they're about to release for Blood Bowl. Some of the upcoming models for Age of Sigmar and 40k as well. Yeah. Uh, obviously, though, you've got the other uh, major companies. I actually don't know if Wizards of the Coast were there. They must have put a show. Yeah, on. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Because I mean, obviously, wizards do D and D and Magic: The Gathering. Uh, Fantasy Flight were definitely there. Oh, they they would. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I, so I, I was having a look on the the internets. Yeah. And uh, some of the ones that caught my eye, uh, just a couple of games. Uh, one I think you will really like, Ben, because it's pirate themed. Well, love a pirate. Ben yeah, Ben loves yeah. pirates. In fact. Dead Man's Doubloons. So this... Sold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Say no more. (laughs) So this game, um, basically, you have... It's in two halves. You've got an island in the middle of the board, and around the board you have the ocean. And what you have is you've got your captain exploring the island Mm -hmm. and your ship around the outside. And you move both pieces using... um, You have a hand of cards which has instructions on them. You select which cards you want to play and you place them face down three at a time in the order you want them to happen. And your opponents do exactly the same. And what you do is you all reveal at the same time what your card is and you carry out the instructions on them. It reminded me a lot of, uh, if either of you guys have played uh, the X-Wing miniatures game, You do. there's a similar mechanic in that where you're uh, deciding what, your, what movement your fighter is going to do you decide it in secret without knowing what the other person's doing and you do it at the same time. You're inevitably going to be at cross-purposes with one another. Now, the interesting thing is uh, on these instruction cards, uh, some of the movements are mandatory and some of the movements are optional. So, you know, depending on what your opponent's revealed, you might decide, well, actually, I don't want to do that. And there'll there'll be some things which you have to do and you're like, oh, I wish I didn't pick that now because so-and-so's done that. I thought it was a really interesting-looking game visually fantastic as well it's got this great cartoon style to it um we'll put we'll put up a link to um a video showing it off uh so i'm looking forward to trying that at some point yeah. in the future um some other uh, notable games then they have done game of thrones catan so a version of settlers of catan with game of thrones now they've does done it, does it have sheep because I really buy into the sheep on on game. Yeah, on, on I remember this. You had Do, your sheep cavalry. That was always my my, <laughs> my go to was some sort of sheep baron. Yeah. <laughs> so the resources are exactly the same. So you get sheep. That's fine. You I get mean, your sheep. Cinema uh, sold. Next point. But, <laughs> but um, the big difference is so unlike uh, Star Trek Catan, which was basically just a rebranded version of the exactly the same game. Okay. What this is is set in the north of Game of Thrones uh-huh. at the wall. So yeah. you actually have the wall on the board oh. and you have the wildlings on the other side and they are trying to break through 
and eventually they will get through and start disrupting the resources That's on so the cool, side that you I, I thought that it was just like a rebrand of you know, you know like you yeah, get yeah. Pokemon Monopoly and all yeah. that. It's, it's and this is game. this is yeah, this is the point I was gonna make. This is uh this if, if you're gonna do a branded version of an established game, this is exactly how I'd want uh Publishers to do it just add a little bit of flavour. Yeah. yeah, I think you so, need some sort of like sheep-based defence. <laughs> well, well, so so one of the things, the one of the extra things you can buy, as well as you know settlements, roads, cities, that sort of thing, uh, you uh, spend resources to put guards on the wall. Okay. So um, that yeah. the guards, uh, yeah, the night's watch, obviously. Yeah, yeah the yeah. guards keep the wildlings at bay. And you actually score some points for having the most guards okay. on the wall as well. So there's a there's a reason uh, why you would want. I to do want that. to play this now. Exactly. Sounds good. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm on board. Yeah. yeah. So that was cool. Uh, there was one game called Nomads, uh, which is really interesting. So the the uh, story wise, what uh, Nomads is is everyone uh, sitting around a campfire. And you have all these travellers telling stories about their travels. Yeah. The whole mechanics work with uh, poker chips. Okay. Basically. So you have stacks of poker chips and uh, your uh, character's uh, symbol will be on some of them. And the idea is you um, you will uh, use a card which says, all right, three moves, move three stacks. So you'll pick up a stack, move it to the next one, drop the bottom chip on top of that pile, mm -hmm. potentially covering someone's symbol, oh. and then you move along. So you're moving your symbol to certain places and trying to block other people. Um, it was a really cool mechanic. Again, visually looked great yeah. as well. Uh, Which is important, despite what everyone says. It is. It is. There's a, re <laughs> you know, there's a reason why we put a, a story to these games and visual representation rather than just having numbers. Well, it's like so. it's like we said that if if presentation wasn't important, everyone would just play bridge and chess. Do yeah. we not play bridge and chess? Is this not a thing? <laughs> oh, I, I see I've hit a nerve. <laughs> so uh, I thought this was the bridge I, podcast. I, <laughs> right, okay. I I have never played bridge. I have no idea how I play it. I don't know how to play bridge. I can play chess. I'm, I'm pretty good. At okay, chess. I can, I'm, all, I'm all right at chess. But people that play bridge are mad for it. It's the you know like people will dabble <laughs> with chess. But if you play bridge, you are in a club. You've got to commit. Yeah, like, no, no casual bridge players. Yeah. Magic the Gathering players have nothing on bridge players. Let me tell <laughs> you. Do you think like all these old biddies are at the bridge club just going, yeah, filthy casuals. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they they were some of the standout games for me. There's another couple that I haven't had a chance to look into more like there's a batman board game there's a fallout branded board game as well yeah uh so these uh, are things that we'll be checking out over the next couple of weeks hopefully some of them will be at the glasgow games fair that we're uh, going to uh next weekend well we we will have been there when the next podcast when we record out. the yeah. uh, next after after our next recording so uh hopefully we'll get a chance to try some of these out yeah so uh yeah, I think that rounds up everything that's been uh, going on over the last uh, couple of weeks since we last recorded. But busier than last time. Uh -huh. Yes. Yep. So uh, we'll be back in a moment and we'll be talking about uh, RPGs and uh, GMing with Tom. Right. Thanks very much, guys. We'll see you in a bit.